But you know, I think also that in the legislature, we have a party that's insensitive to everything. And they'll tell you, oh, no, the Republican Party doesn't tell me what to do, but do something that they didn't tell you to do, and you'll find out. But in at the top of that also, we've got to look at ourselves as Democrats, and we've got to be more forceful in what we do, not forceful from a negative perspective. All righty, kids. Another week, your favorite Alabama politics podcast. It is Alabama politics this week. I remember the name. Uh, I am Josh Moon, uh, and that is <laughs> David Person. <laughs> he remembers his name too. That's right. Yeah, most We're days all... I do. Yeah. Well, some days I don't remember what day it is, but I always oh, tend to remember my some name. Some days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Uh, this week was the exact opposite of last week, where I forgot that it was Wednesday and I needed to put something together for the show instead of uh, the, the week before when I was putting it together a day early. Oh uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Well, yeah. look, man. Yeah. Every morning I have to think about what day it is when i wake up this covet thing has me so twisted and crazy hey i listen if you want to call it covet okay but i'm i'm, well, I'm not convinced it's just covet with me okay so it's uh <laughs> i'm not ready to claim early onset so i got to start with the easiest thing i can yeah, gotta go yeah that's right that's, uh, listen there's no there's no problem there no problem there all yeah. right we got we do have uh excellent show mary, uh, representative mary moore will be on uh she gave a uh, really good uh uh, speech before a committee this week talking about the anti-riot bill and her experiences with Bull Connor and having the dogs turned loose. And, mm. uh, and so we, we thought it would be really, really important and, and good to have her own. And so she's going to come on and talk about that, talk about the bill and, and how terrible it is. Um, in addition to that, we'll run down and rant and rave about a variety of things. Um, and, you know, and, and really, I guess rave about the, uh, the passage of uh, COVID relief out of the gate here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the federal bill has passed uh, one, Point nine trillion, which I don't know if it's still one point nine trillion technically or not, uh, but that's what they they're calling it. Uh, so uh, we'll go with that. Uh, but it is the uh, the fully democratic COVID relief bill because not a single Republican voted for it, yeah. uh, despite it uh, having seventy percent approval uh, among the people, and uh, and then several Republicans praising several of the things that are contained within the bill uh, as soon as it passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It is, you know, I think it's a it's a good deal, and I, I know everybody focuses on the fourteen hundred dollar checks because we everybody loves free money, um, and so you know you've got money coming your way, and I think that's a big deal. But there are a number of really good things uh, to this, and that, you know there have been a lot of analysts uh, that have uh, predicted that the bill itself is going to cut child poverty at least in the short term uh, in half. Uh, just because of this, and because of the various programs that are funded by uh, the the bills. Uh, various outreaches to different programs and things. And so uh, you, you have that. Yeah. I mean, you have the unemployment relief, you have, uh, you know, saving people, uh, saving people in their homes. Um, you know, it, it just, there, there are so many things. This is, uh, it's been called kind of a reworking of the social safety net. Uh, and, you know, I think that that's probably pretty true. And one of the things I'm interested to see uh, if it will hang around is this uh, $300 per month, um, I guess stipend would be the best way to put it uh, that will go to parents of, of children. Uh, I think you get three twenty per month. If it's, if your child is under six. Um, yeah. And that's, it's part of the child tax credit and you were always getting a child tax credit. They bumped that up to $3,600 from $2,000. Uh, and then they made a portion of that payable per month. Um, 
uh, going forward, uh, starting in July. And uh, so you can you can either claim it on your taxes fully for the thirty six hundred dollars, or you can start claiming uh, the three hundred dollars per month in July, and then you take the difference at the end of the year in your tax return. So uh, it's you know uh, it's an interesting concept to me um, to to see whether or not something like that can pass, and uh, to see how, you know how much good something like that can do. Uh, for, I think it would help a lot of people. It would essentially be um, daycare money, uh, you know, for, especially for the kids under six, it would be childcare services, uh, for a lot of working parents out there. Uh, and I think would put, end up putting groceries on the table. Yeah. And, and so it, it, what I love about it is it does two things that, um, it appears to me as though does not happen when you have tax cuts or other targeted economic programs that benefit the wealthy and that is that first of all with this kind of with this COVID relief package obviously the obvious thing it does is it helps the people who are most in need you know the people who have been most adversely affected by COVID-19 uh, directly in direct ways and indirect ways as, as you've stated but the other obvious thing it does is it filters back into the economy and so it ultimately, it's, it's almost like the government investing in the people of the country in a way where the government can receive dividends, businesses receive dividends. You know, when, when people are struggling to stay in their homes, you know, not only does it have an adverse impact on them and their families, it has an adverse impact on the property owners and, and on the municipalities. And, and so this is the difference because lower people in the lower, you know, middle and lower uh, economic uh, uh, levels of, uh, of our society, when they get money like that, they put it right back into the economy. You know, when the rich right. do it, they don't do that, you know. Oh, no, and, no, no, and, no, they don't. And yeah, it's, it's just so, yeah. I mean, again, I, you know, it's a, it, to me it's really mind-boggling how these Republicans make some of the arguments they make when they say, you know, well, this is going to hurt the economy. It's a heist. That's all BS. It's only a heist. It only hurts the economy based on what I've what what my logic tells me when they get the money. You know, when people at their <laughs> yeah. levels get the yeah. money. You know, yeah. and nobody was having a problem when they were doing the Trump no. tax cuts, and uh, you know, the and it was stacked up to to go to the wealthy. Um, and you know, and you hear this argument, and what kills me is is how quickly. Uh, an argument or, or a lie, an outright lie, is accepted on the right side of the, of the aisle uh, by by Republican and conservative voters. Uh, you know how quickly they will accept an outright lie as the absolute truth. I can't tell you. I posted something about this on Facebook uh, a couple of days ago, and the number of people who repeated that nine percent lie. Because there, there's a, there's this lie from the Republican Party that only nine percent of this one point nine trillion dollars goes to actually help COVID relief. Now I, I have no idea how in the hell they ever arrive at that, but right out of the gate, uh, the checks that are going out account for four hundred twenty four billion dollars, which is more than the nine percent. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, and then I, we we can run through the list here: uh, state and local aid to prevent layoffs and service cuts, three hundred fifty billion; unemployment insurance, two hundred forty six billion; tax credit aid and child care for families, two hundred nineteen billion; uh, money to reopen schools and for higher education to reopen safely, one hundred seventy eight billion; uh, vaccinations and health care, one hundred seventy six billion; 
Farmers and small businesses and other vital industries, $109 billion. FEMA disaster relief, $47 billion. Veterans, $17 billion. Restaurants and bars, $25 billion. Renters and homeowners, $40 billion. Uh, so, you know, what What exactly do you want to cut? Who do you want to leave out of here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, when you're, you're talking about the direct needs of people, and you're really talking about the difference between an America that looks like the land that we've always touted ourselves to be and an America mm-hmm. that looks like, to be blunt, what we call... I'm going to say derisively because I think that's often what it is. Third world countries, you know, and we know already if we're honest in this country, we've already got areas that are like third world countries, you know, go, go to the black belt and see what's happening there with uh, wastewater treatment and some other issues in housing. And you'll see Alabama's got some huge swaths that are basically third world country like, you know, but but this would only but what we've been going through for the past year only, I think, intensifies or expands that that reality. So here, you know, Biden has come along with true leadership, not because he's a Democrat, but because he was just a responsible president, because Trump could have done the same thing. Trump could have led an effort to revitalize the economy in a way that would help the people most affected by this. He could have led in other ways related to COVID. And instead, he, well, I won't say what I'm thinking, but instead <laughs> he bung, he fumbled. He fumbled the ball. He yeah. fumbled the ball. Yeah, he did that and, and intentionally in a lot of places. You know, it, uh, it, it's always striking to me. Um how every single uh, Republican initiative is designed to start at the top and work its way down in terms of who gets help. Uh, And every single Democratic initiative is designed to start at the bottom and lift from there uh, and and go forward. And if you look through back through history, you don't take my word for it, go look it up. Uh, The Democratic plan always works and the Republican plan always fails. It always fails that we have to bail out the Republicans every single time because they start with this top down nonsense and it never trickles. Nothing that it ain't trickled a drop in uh, 30 years. All right. Not a drop has come down. And so it never works. This 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 idea and this economic system and plan that they have that it has never worked and it will never work. And the democratic plan has always worked. And yet we, for some reason or another, there's an argument about where it, where it goes and it's built on racism. You could see that. Uh, I mean, we had people that were, you know, that were going to benefit from this program, you know, from this bill, uh, they were complaining, but oh, the stimulus checks, that'll be blown on rims and cigarettes in a matter of days, you know, and it's just the most racist shit you can imagine. And, and I, you know, it, it's so, um, it, it it highlights to me the exact problem in Alabama that these people would cut out their own legs to keep this other person from getting something, uh, it just the same as they do, and and that is that has been Alabama's problem, God, for so long. This this idea among white people here that if if we can just stop the black man from getting this stuff, then we'll be able to feel a little bit better about ourselves. And in the meantime, they've killed themselves. Well, I think you're right. And I think that that that's the byproduct of being acculturated to believe in white supremacy. So if it's not 
if 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 you can't have an actual tangible experience of white supremacy due to your actually being uh, better off financially or smarter or or advantaged in some other way naturally, then you got to make it up. Mm-hmm. You got to you got to yep. enter into a delusion to create yeah. a semblance of white supremacy in your mind. And so that's what yeah. people are doing. And like you said, they're doing it to their own detriment. And and, you know, the people at the very top. This is such an old playbook, Josh. I mean, this is the very same thing that was done at the turn of the of the 20th century to ensure that 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 black people would not uh, rise above their station in the minds of the white upper elites and also to Mm -hmm. ensure that poor whites would not band together with poor blacks, you know, who were just coming out of slavery post reconstruction, you know, this, you know, it's just another thing that, Hey, let's create a racial hierarchy. Let's, let's intertwine it with class. And let's, let's just basically ensure that white people, poor white people can have a reason to feel better because we're telling them, Hey, at least you're not that black guy over there. Yeah, well, and, and they and they sow the the this little seed of you need it, but this black guy, he's just lazy. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't need it. He's not working. He doesn't want to work like mm-hmm. you do. He, you know, that's the reason we're not. So that's the reason we're not. Which is have the which program. is because you got too many. Of which them is so just layer. Which around. is so asinine in terms of logic Mm -hmm. because you're talking about a group of people by and large who was brought here against their will to work for free you enslaved them you know and yet you're going to turn around and say oh but they're lazy how in the hell can they be lazy when you you snatched them away from their own (laughs) land and they worked for free that's just insane. That doesn't even remotely make sense. And and then at the same well, time, you and your ancestors depended on them to do the work that you didn't want to do. Oh, but they're lazy. Yep. That's well, insane. Nothing. Nothing makes yeah. sense, man. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing makes yeah. sense. Uh, and, and I'll give you. I'll give you something locally that that makes that makes zero sense anymore. And that's uh, the gambling bill has failed. Uh, well, at least were you surprised now. by that? Uh, the grant. I was, I was surprised very, too. I was very surprised by that. I was very surprised. Uh, I was very surprised. I, you know what? I'll say this: I'm not not necessarily that it failed overall, but where it failed and how quickly it failed uh, was was really really a surprise. Uh, I, I I suspect uh, shenanigans behind the scenes there, uh, but um, I mean, I just think that it was too weird. Well, help help uh, me to normally, help me to understand something because you you know you okay. you in your daily. In the course of your daily and weekly work, I mean, you're really paying real close attention to the legislature. You're talking to sources and so on and so forth. How did this happen? Because I, I was under the impression that Dale Marsh had the votes. I was under yeah. the impression that, that this time, for the first time, uh, at least in the past 20 plus years since Siegelman you know, jumped on the lottery train and tried to ride it, you know, uh, you know, uh, into uh, two terms. And of course, Mm -hmm. he failed and whatnot. I was under the impression that Republicans were actually behind. it. In fact, even the governor still seems to be Governor Ivey actually seems to want this bill to pass. So what happened? Yeah, Well, uh, and I think you're right about Ivey. And I think that 
there's going to probably be a special session at some point over this uh, because I think they are irritated by what took place. Um, and uh, so I, I'll say this. All right. So he, the reason you were under the impression that he had the votes was because he kept telling everybody he had the votes. Um, and, you know, behind the scenes, everyone was fairly comfortable with the Senate uh, and, and having the votes. And I will also say that technically, uh, if you included, if everybody was present, he would have had the 21 votes necessary. Two Democrats were absent because of illness, uh, which again raises the question of why in the hell he held the vote. Uh, but um, so, you know, yeah, the, the week before he had 24 or 25 votes and wanted to raise that up to, to more and because uh, he felt like the more support he could have in the Senate, uh, the better off it would be in the House. And I think I believe his thinking was if we could do this, uh, get this, get this support. I, there's no chance I'm not going to have the 21. So let's just see if I can build on the support I do have. And what it what actually took place was as the week went on, uh, he he began to lose people for various reasons. Uh, one of the ones, one of the reasons being that they kept changing the bill around, at, even up until that day when it hit the floor, and they allowed two additional locations to come in, which people were were not very happy with in in Dothan and Lowndes County. And um, I, I think that that hurt. I think a couple of people were, um. One person in particular uh, who they allowed to write the uh, enabling legislation uh, because he was not going to vote for this bill unless he took part in, in writing the enabling legislation. Mm. So actually wrote it and then voted against it. He, uh, wait, he wrote, and, he wrote uh, it and voted against his own enabling legislation? He did indeed. Uh, are you going to name uh, a name so, here, Josh? So, oh, is that, well, I'm, I, well, I can tell you the name that was told to me was Clyde Chambliss. Mm. Uh, and so that was who two people told me is right down in Prattville and in that area. Hmm. And and then you had Will Barfoot also in that area, which everyone assumed was he was a pretty strong yes to this, given that he was going to have two casino locations in his right. district. Uh, hmm. So, you know, um, and I think that there there are some very, very upset people uh, that, uh, you know, were that do fund campaigns. Uh, and so, so um, yeah, I think they're going to so have what some issues there. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. So what is the what what's sticking in their craw about this? Why why is this something they couldn't get behind? To be quite honest with you, I don't know. Um I I I've well, I'll say this. I I don't know that it was necessarily pushed the correct way. Mm. I think I I think the people that were supportive of this felt like it was a good bill that had support from the people who were normally at odds. And they felt like with those people uh, together and the people who represented the areas where those folks are being on board, that they would have more than enough votes to pass this thing. And so I don't think that they necessarily tried a big PR push on it. Um, you know, I, 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 told people from the start, I don't understand why it wasn't pushed as a jobs bill because, I mean, you're talking about the creation of about 10,000 jobs or more. Uh, just, you know, I'm talking about permanent jobs. That's In addition to no telling how many construction jobs and stuff that would come along on a temporary basis over the next two to three to four years uh, while you're building all these facilities up. I mean, the one up in northeast Alabama that they're talking about building there, I mean, that's going to be a huge, or was going to be a huge project uh, that was going to involve, I mean, just thousands of right. people. Uh, and bring all sorts of e an economic impact to that area. And I don't know why it wasn't pushed that way. But regardless, I, I don't know that they ever necessarily gave people a good solid reason to vote for it. 
Um, you know, I, I felt like the money was going to, to mostly the right places. I felt like, uh, you know, that they had a lot of locations around the state that were going to draw in people. Uh, I didn't think you had too many locations when you were talking about eight total. I mean, there's 16 in Mississippi. Uh, you know, you're going to take eight and spread them all around the state. I felt like that was a pretty good plan. Um, you know, I, Honestly, I don't know. I don't really know what what the deal is anymore, other than just the stigma of gambling. And you you say gambling to somebody, and it it takes on this negative connotation that I just I don't understand anymore in this day and age when we're talking about you know just uh, things that people do all yeah. the time. I mean, all like the time. We've, and like we've this. talked about, Alabamians have been the biggest group of lottery ticket buyers outside of the the people in the states where the lotteries are. So, I mean, we know Alabamians play the lottery. We know they gamble in and outside of the state. You know, uh, they, they go to the Indian casinos to gamble. They go to the, the casinos in Mississippi to gamble outside of the state. I mean, we know this. So, uh, you know, what? and, and then of course the, the proliferation of all of these little one arm Jack, uh, what, isn't that what they call <laughs> yeah. them? What, slot machines or one arm Jacks that, yeah. One-armed One-armed bandits. bandits, thank you, that are all over the place uh, in the state and gas stations, or at least have been, and gas stations and so forth. All right, so give me some insight into this. Governor Ivey really seems to want this. I mean, you're saying you think she's going to call a special session. Uh, what's? I, I'm curious to know if you have any sense of what's her motivation. What? Why is she so on board with this? Um, I think that there are a couple of things there that um, that she wants to get done, that gambling will allow her to get done. Uh, and I think she wants to do some form of Medicaid expansion. Uh, it's not necessarily a full-on Medicaid suspension that, uh, expansion that they're looking at, but I think it's some form of, of, of health care expansion in the state uh, that would benefit a lot of people. And there's a ton of money from this project that would go to that, in addition to the broadband component of it uh, that she's really supportive of with Dale Marsh. But I think that, um, uh, you know, I, I also think that, that it's just a uh, an issue that has hung around this state's neck for so long. Uh, it is an issue now that we have finally gotten the people that are typically at war on this uh, together in the same room and in agreement on things and behind a bill. And you can see that this would be a huge economic impact for the state in in those eight various areas and the state overall in terms of almost a billion dollars of revenue every year coming in. Um, and so you can do a whole lot of good with that money where you are, like you said, you already have the gambling already around here. What we don't have is the revenue from it uh, to do the good things that that you could do from, you know, if you want to call it a bad enterprise or, or you know, whatever. I, I don't see it that way mm-hmm. at all. But no matter how you feel about it, you already have it in the state. You might as well get the revenue exactly. from it. So, uh, you know, I, that's that's where we are. And I, I think that's that's uh, part of her big push here behind this is, you know, they, they put some work in on doing this with a committee and uh, things. And I, I think that they're just they want to do it. Uh, and I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it doesn't make any sense the way we are. But that's, you know, a lot of things around here doesn't make any yeah. sense. Yeah. So. But uh, all right, we got we we're up against it here. We got we got to slide out and, and get Representative Mary Moore in, and uh, we'll be right back. Outbound politics this week. Back in a minute.
Hey, everybody. Just wanted to remind you, if you would, take a moment and go to your favorite podcast destination and leave us a nice review, if you would. Uh, Also, don't forget to rate us if you get a chance. Uh, That would really, really help us out a whole lot here. And, uh, you know, maybe we could earn some money off this thing every now and then. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Welcome back in Alabama Politics This Week. Uh, Josh Moon, David Person. And we are happy now to be joined by Representative Mary Moore. Uh, and, and Representative Moore, thanks for, I know uh, we, we pulled you from the floor for this uh, <laughs> for this thing, uh, for this interview. And we, we really appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk with us. Hey, I thank you for the opportunity. Yes, ma'am. I, well, uh, the reason we wanted to get you on here this week was I... I I have covered the the anti riot bill, uh-huh. uh, which is actually anti peaceful protesting. Bill, That's what it, it is. Actually is. Um, and, uh, and and it's because uh, it, you know a lot of our Republican friends, and we'll call them friends to be nice, uh, in the state don't like to be reminded uh, of all the things that they've done wrong and all the things that are wrong. So they want to stamp it out whenever they can. Um, and so this bill is terrible. Uh, it it will punish peaceful protesters. No, there's no doubt about it. It will discourage peaceful protest, uh, which is, by the way, a constitutional right uh, that our our founders were were pretty set on. Um, and and you though during the hearing uh, for this, uh, you stood up and and had some things to say about the bill and about your experiences. Um, with Bull Connor and, and dogs. And, uh, and I, I don't want to put any words in your mouth. And so I, if you would, just, just kind of tell us what you, what you told the committee. Uh, what I expressed to them once I read this bill, um, I understood what it was all about. And what I wanted to share with them, uh, during the 60s when Dr. King was fighting for just some of our simple rights that God had given us, you know, our parents were protesting. They were getting arrested. And in January 1963, uh, at 16th Street Baptist Church, Dr. King asked that Monday night for all the adults to step back and let the children come forth. And he explained to them, we'll, we, we are not able to get our message out because when your parents go to protest, they are arrested. Then they lose their job. And we're running short of people to help us get the message out. And Dr. King said to us, young people, I need your help. Well, most of them, like me, that's the closest I'd ever been to Dr. King. And it was an honor for him to say he needed our help. And he told us, I'll be back in April with a plan to use the children. Now, most people might think that those barges was just, you know, arbitrary, but they weren't. When Dr. King came back, he divided us up first into districts. Uh, if you lived on the north side like I did, they appointed churches on the north side because he wanted a peaceful protest. He didn't want our anger to get to the point that it would break out into a riot. So we were trained, those students that signed up to go to jail, those students that signed up to march every day because you couldn't let everybody be arrested. So we were trained to carry out a peaceful protest. And we were, and those of us that was willing to do that are the ones that marched every day that we had the march. And we came from all over the county, college students, high school students, 
some case, elementary school students. And what I said to them, that gave me a flashback to 1963 in Kelly Ingram Park. While we're busy trying to carry out a peaceful protest, Bull Connor and the fire department will come up with hoses to spray on children. They caused, they caused whatever happened past then. Then you had those dogs. And if you understand the name, all of those German shepherds had the same name and it started with N. And that's how they got them to attack us. So, you know, when you're talking about a, a, a right given in the US constitution to all of its citizens to be able to, if, if, if it's something that we think need to be changed or have some concerns with and people are not listening, then there's peaceful protest for us to get our message out in an effort that will come to the table. Now, if there are people that are paid, which we know they're paid, to come in and be disruptive, and if I'm standing, I might be standing right in the spot that that person who came to break out somebody's window uh, throws the brick, and they're giving that policeman a few seconds to decide how many people they're going to arrest. Now, in my peaceful protest, in most cases, we got to get a permit to march. But in that policeman's split-second decision, he arrests me because I'm standing next to somebody who came to be disrupted, and I could spend 24, 48 hours in jail and have a felony put on my record. My boss don't fire me. I done lost my, my income. But if you want to stop riots, then you need to address that. And like I told them uh, on Tuesday, the police was aware these people were coming. So why didn't you do your due diligence to identify them? If you knew those unmarked cars were people coming to be disrupted, then you work, do your due diligence to, to uh, arrest them. But don't arrest me as a peaceful protester because that's hmm. how we made the changes, not only here in America, but across this world through peaceful protests. So, Ms. Moore, let me let me ask you a question. Uh Um, In Montgomery, the police chief in Montgomery, uh, with the support of uh, the new mayor, Stephen Reed, our our friend Stephen Reed, the police chief down there was able to using de-escalation tactics. He and his force were able to manage the protest that happened in 2020 with either zero arrest or 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 less than 10 arrests. I mean, it was some phenomenal kind of number. In fact, even less than five, I think, um, if not zero. Um, I have often, I've asked the police chief here in Huntsville where they use tear gas and a militarized force, you know, why didn't you guys look at de-escalation tactics such as the ones that were used in Montgomery? And, you know, you get some gobbledygook bureaucratic answer. Uh, do you think that there is an awareness in the legislature, which is in Montgomery, <laughs> that, <laughs> that there are, that there are, uh, that there's an onus on the police departments to de-escalate and to approach these these groups of people, even if they've been infiltrated, to approach these groups of people in ways that are different than what 
are customarily used in order to help keep peace? I don't think there's an awareness because what you have to realize, the majority of the people in the Alabama legislature are Republican. And they, you know, they have their agenda and their agenda does not include de-escalating anything as you saw in the Capitol on January the 6th. Their agenda does not include safety for all citizens because in their mind, the rest of us are not citizens. You know, we're not citizens. So there, there is absolutely no awareness. That's why I took my time today to deal with the calendar, to try to put some issues on the line because on that day that uh, the riot bill came up, if you listen to Representative Chris Ingram, he talked about there are other things that we need to talk about uh, before we get to that definition of riot. There are a whole lot of things that we need to talk about. Uh, you got to look at the historical nature of different parts of this state. Now, when you look at Montgomery, they still call Montgomery a rural area. And, and, and it's an it's a, it's a urban city, but because it's surrounded by rural cities and counties, they look at it differently than they look at Birmingham or they look at Madison County. They look at us as being uh, neighborhoods of wild black people who have to be contained. And when you look at the police mm. force that's in most of our cities, they don't even live in our city. So they, and, and the policemen, you know, my, my philosophy, cities were designed to protect the citizens and they provide jobs to protect the citizens to the citizens that live there. But when you've got a philosophy that in our urban areas, we're on drugs and it doesn't matter who you are, you got, you got some defect. And that is the police job to take you out because of that defect and they don't even know who you are. But that's the mm. design of our, our more urban police uh, department. Right. So let me ask you one other question. And this is about the constitutionality of, of this proposed bill. If it is passed by both houses of the legislature, do you believe that it will, do you think there'll be a lawsuit? And do you believe that it will ultimately be found as other, you know, laws like HB 56 and mm -hmm. others have been found to be unconstitutional? Do you think that's the ultimate outcome I, here? I think that's the ultimate outcome. But you know, I think also that in the legislature, we have a party that's insensitive to everything. And they'll tell you, oh, no, the Republican Party doesn't tell me what to do, but do something that they didn't tell you to do, and you'll find out. But in, at the top of that also, we've got to look at ourselves as Democrats, and we've got to be more forceful in what we do, not forceful from a negative perspective. But we've got to, when these types of bills like you saw on Tuesday, how many of us even attempted to speak? How many even attempted to speak, to put something on the table, to let the, to let the chair know we're not satisfied with this bill? They didn't even attempt to speak. So we as a party got to get our act together too. Do we want to protect mm. the citizens? Do we want to protect those, those rights given not only by God, but by the Constitution of the United States? So we as a party got to stand firm and stand up too and stop rubbing our hands together and bowing our heads and uh, uh, afraid when like when I asked the chair if I could speak 
that opened the door for all of the other members that was there that was not a part of that committee to raise their hand and say, me too. Not a one of them tried. So I think it's, it's, it's something that the Democrats have got to do uh, because we know we got a party that's totally insensitive, all about power and how we can bring back the old South. And I'm gonna add this about that old South. In 1901, when Alabama passed this constitution, do you know every state that was a state took portions of those Jim Crow laws and incorporated them in their constitution? So that's been something that's been uh, to, to demean a race of people and, and to come up with ways to, to, to antagonize them, to threaten them, to not open up their voice. That's why so many of our parents and grandparents were afraid to say anything. But it's a different generation here. And we only way we're gonna train them is we got to be good mentors and stand up when the opportunity comes for us to stand up against injustice like this riot be. You know, I wanted to, if we could, for just a second, go back. Um, you talked about the Kelly Ingram Park and the and the fire hoses and things, and I and I don't want to. You know, I feel like a lot of times, you know, we we especially in in this state, we, uh -huh. we hear those stories and we we kind of just kind of gloss over them. Um, and and I don't I don't want to do that because I, I, I want to. Uh, first of all, how how old were you when that when when you were in that park? I was thirteen. Did it? I mean, do you do, do you still carry that with you today? I mean, do you, I mean, how did that how did that affect you? Well, it, let me tell you what happened in, in in our mindset as young people at that time, and 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 what the result of Dr. King training us and giving us some history of what we needed to do. We didn't carry it because we believed that if we could change Birmingham, which was one of the most hardcore racist cities, and open it up and give Blacks and other races of people, the opportunity to be elected to offices, to be appointed to different positions that we would have made a difference. And, and those of us that went to movement meeting every Monday night, we were trained to the fact that this is just one step. We might not be able to accomplish anything, but he encouraged us not to, not to keep it with you. That you, if, if you need some help and shaking it off, then you come to the because all of us had some uh, elderly people to mentor us and we could go to them, but we were encouraged to, only way we were going to make a change is we couldn't hold any level of hate in, in a peaceful move. You couldn't mm -hmm. do that. That's, um, it's, it's crazy for, for me to think of. I mean, uh, somebody who I get irritated at people at red lights when they don't go fast enough. Uh, but, you know, it's um, you know, to, to think of, of shaking. I mean, really, to, to think of shaking off uh, being denied basic rights, it, you know, and to keep fighting and to keep pushing. I, I, I assume that's why you're in the legislature today, right? It is because I've been a I've been a community activist and some of those same people that I met as a young girl. And, and going to the movement meeting, those were the same people that took me under their wing when I finished college and came back to Birmingham. They were the ones that encouraged me to get involved in the community. And they would always tell me, be patient, be patient. You're not gonna win every battle that you go out to fight. You're gonna lose some and then some of them gonna be some maybe. So it, it takes a discipline to be able to do it. And unfortunately, if we are able to harness our young people to let them know 
everything can't be microwave. <laughs> this movement has mm. been fought for a long time and it's going to be a lot more years till we can, to the hearts of men and women will change. How then, how then does it make you feel to see what is going on now with voting rights? Uh, you know, you have a number of, of things in Georgia. Uh, you have, uh, you know, the, in this state as well, uh-huh. where, you know, you had the uh, you, you had the secretary of state who was all for one thing, then he was all against it. And, and we all know why uh, they were against it. And it has nothing to do with fair and safe elections. And it has nothing to do with getting more people to vote. It has to do with keeping some people from the polls. How does, given that fight and everything uh-huh. y'all went through then, and, uh-huh. and to, and to get, finally get that passed in 65 and at, today to have fewer rights than you did in 65, it's got to be a little bit heartbreaking, doesn't it? It is. And, you know, a lot of people don't know. Uh, before they, uh, Shelby County, when Shelby County uh, passed, uh, filed the complaint to diminish the voting rights, I worked with a lot of people. Once we, I could not convince even my colleagues that there was an attack on voting rights. But I did have some older women that were my mentors in Birmingham. When it hit, before it got to the Supreme Court, it was in the district, district court there in Washington, D.C. And we fought tooth and nails with Judge Bates until he, he, he kept it from going any further until Shelby County pursued it again. It's disappointing. But it, it is so disappointing that I have to talk to my young people that I know to try to get them to understand that ought to be all of our rights now. Because let me tell you, even though it appears that what the Republican Party is doing is going against Black voters and Brown voters, they're going against all voters at the end of the day because the previous administration was trying to set up authoritarian government. And in authoritarian government, only the top oligarchs will have any power. Even though these young people that they've elected to be in the Alabama legislature, they don't understand that they're going to be in the same category with me. If Mm. these voting Mm. rights amendments continue the way they're going, all of these young whites that they have brainwashed, if if we ever get to be an authoritarian form of government, they're going to be on the same same level as I am. And they would have participated. Do you, uh, you, you, you expressed some optimism earlier uh, in passing. You said that you think that uh, you said something along the lines of until hearts and minds are changed. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that at some point, one day, the beloved community that Dr. King talked about is going to be realized in your lifetime or or or? Or our lifetimes. I don't know if it would have happened in my lifetime, and it won't be a hundred percent, but it would be a lot fewer than that group now that skews the level of hate. And they've done it all the time. It's just that we have shook it off. And and if somebody comes up, I know in Birmingham, every t- I, I look at to our top writers now, uh, uh, Whitmire and Archibald. I've known times uh, when I was younger with go before city council talking about equality in a black city that black people weren't getting. They would Mm -hmm. write these demeaning narratives in the Birmingham news about me and other young people that was out at that time. 
But look at them now. Look at the type articles they write now. They're in lockstep with justice. So it's, it's going to take a lot to do it. And for one reason, America has never been honest to its mm -hmm. people. It has never mm -hmm. been honest to its people. And we've got to go all the way back to slavery, all the way back to England and other places for America to own up to the fact I did a prayer on the floor last week. And one thing has been on my mind, for those people who say they are taking their country back, all of us came to this country, whether willingly or not. Even mm -hmm. the Indians, they came to this country through the Severian Strait. All of us came here. But for some reason, some people have been taught that for some reason, by virtue of your color, you own that. But then within that group, you got young people and people in my age that blacks and white that participated with the movement. We haven't stopped. If you, if, I don't know if you paid attention to the news. Two of the, one of the ministers here in Montgomery that died a few weeks ago, he died, I think, last year and his wife followed they were active members in the, in the civil rights movement. So just mm -hmm. like they came on board and they learned better, they did better, we've all got to tell the truth about America. And I think the more we tell the truth and stop just letting it just fly past us and saying, oh, that's just Mary Mo talking too much. The other thing I wanted to, to bring up was, uh, or to ask you about uh, before we got out of here, you mentioned... Uh, answering, responding directly to Dr. King's call. Now, my reading of history, and, and, and that's why I want to see if you can correct this or confirm it. Uh, my reading of history says that the real brains behind the children's marches in Birmingham were Diane Nash and James Bevel. Is that, is that not the case, or do you not remember it that way? I don't know if either of them were in Birmingham at the time, but I could tell you the night, January 1963. Uh, if you mm -hmm. come into the church, I was in the right balcony. Children always mm -hmm. sat behind the adult. Uh, when Dr. King finally came to the podium, he asked the adult to step back and for the children to step forward. Now, who the mm -hmm. brains were, I can't tell you, but it was Dr. King that said I mm -hmm. needed your help. You know, I, I learned of Diane Nash and, and, and uh, later on, and a lot of the adults that was in the movement, I learned who they were because one of the young men that was there uh, that night was James Orne, who left Birmingham mm -hmm. as a 19-year-old. We grew up in the same neighborhood. Okay, and so okay. uh, we always called him Big Leslie because he was a football player. Biggest right. and the baddest. But I do know he took a Reverend Orange with him as, as to become one of his paid staff. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's a, when we get to somebody writing our story, you know, we those of us that was there, we didn't know who was in the background doing it. But we do know that Dr. King is the one that asked. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, uh, listen, this has been uh, really phenomenal. Um, uh, and and yes. I mean that 
Sincerely, and I, we could do this for a while, but I know you you got to get back out to the floor yeah. and straighten some people out. Uh, exactly. there's, I don't know what's going on since, you had, since you've been with us and not out there, but I can guarantee you somebody's out of line that you need to straighten out. I do. Uh, all right. Uh, that, uh, Representative Mary Moore, thank you so much for, for coming thank on. And, and please thank keep you. up the, the good work and, and keep uh, telling people the truth, please. Yes, ma'am. And we please appreciate, do. I appreciate you just giving me the opportunity because I've learned over the years that those of us that have been on the battle lines the longest, nobody want to hear from us. So I appreciate mm. that. I, I really do. You don't know how far it goes to, to put some a background to what ought to be the truth. Yes, yes ma'am. Uh, thank you so completely. much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. As a representative Mary Moore, she is, uh, she's great. Um, and yeah, absolutely. If, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, it just uh, unbelievable. Un, uh, really, really unbelievable, and uh, I would, uh, we would do well to to, to listen listen to her and uh, and follow along, and uh, you know, and if, and if we could if we could elect a few more <laughs> like Mary Moore, we would absolutely. Uh, I, of absolutely. course, I you know what I say that, but I know that there there are not many like Mary Moore out there in the in the entire world, much less in the state of Alabama, and and I say that in in a very good way. Absolutely. But yeah. but somebody with her conviction, yes. you know, somebody with her sense of conviction and her and her commitment to, uh, I think, to speaking truth to power. That's yeah. what we need in this country. Can you imagine and that? Again, that's, can, can you that's imagine like, that 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 starting at that, that 13 years old uh, in that in that balcony and, and doing that and having the having the hoses and the dogs on you in the, uh, in the park and and to still be there with that much hope? Uh, and optimism today. First, that, you know. first of all, I was a goofball at thirteen. <laughs> well, so yeah, that's I mean, that's yeah. the first problem. I was yeah. a goofball, yeah. but yeah, the uh, I I I really have tremendous admiration and respect for uh, Representative Moore and and all of the others who protested in Birmingham and Montgomery and Lowndes County and. I mean, because what they were doing, these were children facing death, teenagers facing death, grown and elderly people facing death, literally. Yes, yes. absolutely. Literally, you know? Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, just God bless them. They're all saints in my book. God bless them all. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, over, you know, ha- having worked in Montgomery and, and around the state, you know, I've been, I've been really, really fortunate to to meet a lot of, of those folks that, that were involved in, you know, the bus boycott and the, and the Selma to Montgomery marches, uh, you mm-hmm. know, just the people that you see whose names you see in, in history books all the time. You know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of them and a lot of people who played equally big roles that, that very rarely get mentioned uh, just because they weren't in the right place at the right time or, or somebody didn't write the right book about them or whatever. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's so many people though, so many people like Mary Moore that were out there that you see in the photographs, uh, you know, and, and you don't, and they're, they're not identified and, and, but they were there that day. They were there part of that throng of people, uh, that, that changed, you know, America and, and the world in a lot of ways. And, and it's yeah. just, uh, you know, what they did will, will, will not be equaled. And, and it's, it's really, really nice to, uh, to hear them talk. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of comforting uh, in a way to hear them talk and, and to know it, even in the bad times, you know, there are these people that, that are, that are going to do this, they're going to keep fighting and that you will have triumphs, you will have setbacks, but you know, you keep going on with that optimism. That's right. 
before we go too, I found out this week, uh, before we end this segment, I found out this week that, uh, my good friend, Mary Stanton, who, uh, wrote the definitive book on Viola Liuzzo talking about brave people who sacrificed their lives here in this state. Uh, Mary Stanton wrote the definitive book on Viola Liuzzo. Well, Mary, um, Mary just found out that, um, her, um, her book is going to be turned into a movie. Oh, nice. And, um, yeah, it's going to be turned into a movie. Uh, I want to get the exact name of the book because I, 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 um, uh, so I can mention it to people, but, but yeah, it's going to be turned into a movie. In fact, uh, Byron Allen, the, uh, the, the, oh, yeah. the, the cat who owns the weather channel, mm-hmm. um, he actually is the one, um, who, um, who's going to do it. And, uh, so again, uh, want to congratulate Mary on that. Her book is, I believe it's called, I can't find the title here. I was trying to look it up real quick, but I think the, the title is from Selma to sorrow, the life and death of Viola Liuzzo. I think that's the name of the book. That's great. Uh, you know, the more stories we could tell, the more people will realize, hopefully, um, you know, that uh, what we're looking for is, or what we're looking at right now is a repeat of history. And uh, uh, all these people out here trying to deny folks uh, the right to go to go and vote and trying to keep people away from the polls are no different from the red-faced morons that you see in all these civil rights movies uh, mm. there that everybody mm. is uh, always mm. ashamed of and everybody disowns yeah. in history whenever you start talking about that period. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, that, uh, that now whenever mm. you start talking about that history, everybody's daddy was, uh, was you know, in support of the civil rights movement and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, no. Apparently, nobody's daddy was standing out on the street corner spitting at people. Uh, but, right, uh, right. Uh, you know, right. A lot of pictures of those people. I don't know what the hell happened to all of them. But all right, let's. Uh, I tell you what, let's let's slide out. Uh, we'll come back in, wrap this baby up, and uh, and get out of here. And uh, so Alabama politics this week. Back in a moment. Hey, just wanted to take a second to uh, thank the AFL-CIO for their support of the podcast here at Alabama Politics this week. And really thank them for all that they do for us and for the workers all around uh, Alabama. Uh, The Alabama AFL-CIO, which you can find at ALAFLCIO.com. Again, that's ALAFLCIO.com. Go to their their website. Uh, They they do great work at at helping you organize, uh, teaching you about the benefits of a union, uh, teaching you about how to how to go about filing grievances and everything else that goes with, with being a union member, and especially in this time when COVID nineteen is so prevalent, and um, you know a lot of workers are having problems with uh, precautions not necessarily being taken or getting relief uh, that they need because of wage losses and job losses. Go over there to the website, take a look at the reports that are there, take a look at the guidance that they have, uh, utilize some of those uh, some of the fine people that are working at Alabama AFL-CIO uh, and, and take advantage of, of what a union can bring. Uh, and that's especially true if you're working at a place that does not necessarily have a union. Uh, I think you read, uh, read all about that with the, uh, with the folks working at Amazon currently. Uh, in this state, and you can see the benefits that kind of come along with being a union member. Uh, again, that's A-L-A-F-L-C-I-O.com. A-L-A-F-L-C-I-O.com.
All righty, kids. Welcome back. Uh, Alabama politics this week. Uh, you know, good good interview with uh, Representative Moore, and uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a, uh, it's a interesting uh, interesting day, man. Inter- interesting uh, situation in our in our in our legislature and in our state uh, and in our uh, government that we have here, uh, such as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's one of our, she's one of the strong uh, voices in the legislature. I think she's, um, I think she's probably not to, not to put too much on it, but, but, but maybe she sort of serves a, as a John Lewis of sorts, you know, yeah. to be sort of a conscience. Mm-hmm. I hope that would be. Well, and I'm not saying she's the only one either, no, but I no. think she she might be one of those. Well, I, you know, I don't know that we have a conscience left, but uh, you know, if there if we do, we've, <laughs> you know, at least she's the the little voice on their shoulder that they try to ignore. Uh, mm. You know, it uh, it works out. And and speaking of, uh, we have we do. I, I'll say this: there are a couple of Republicans uh, and and old school uh, Alabama lawmakers that uh, have developed a conscience in relation to one individual, and that's to Forrest Johnson. Um, and yeah. in that case, uh, where he's been locked up for 20 years for something he pretty clearly didn't do. Um, uh, you know, I, and I know you, you, you've read a lot about it and I, I did too. And I, 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 I told y'all earlier, I could have sworn that I'd written some things about this, but I couldn't, I went back looking for him. I could not find it. Uh, but it is, uh, an interesting case. Uh, well, terrible case actually, all the way around. It's because it sure seems like we've yeah. locked an innocent man up for the last twenty plus years and got him on death row, and uh, now you have uh, Drayton Neighbors, who's former uh, Chief Justice, Supreme Court uh, in the state, uh, Republican, uh, and and Bill Baxley, uh, former uh, Attorney General, right? Was he Attorney General? Uh, Bill Baxley? Yeah, he yeah. was former uh, AG. That's right. And yeah. uh, you know, so I that we have them, you know, doing. Uh, writing letter, wrote an op-ed, uh, wrote, you know, wrote letters, uh, filed a brief in the case, and um, on, on his behalf, the DA in Jefferson County has come out saying they need a new case for this. Uh, it's a uh, you don't see that sort of support often, and you got to think with all of those people that there's going to be some movement in that direction. Yeah, and I think it's impressive that you got you know you got Drayton Neighbors, former. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Republican, but then you also have, you know, Sonny Hornsby, former Supreme Court Justice Democrat, Ralph Cook, another former Supreme Court Justice Democrat, and Bill Baxley, who's a Democrat, who was a Democrat when he was AG, uh, but describes himself as pro-death penalty. So you have this really interesting sort of uh, you know, configuration of, of people in terms of politics and ideology. So the, the, the substance of the case seems to be, for those who don't know, that Mr. Johnson was convicted of the death of Jefferson County Deputy Sheriff William Hardy. Uh, Hardy was shot twice in the head, according to AL.com, while working off-duty security at a hotel back in 1995. Mr. Johnson says that he was at a nightclub at the time of the shooting. And here's the troubling thing. An informant testified at the trial, uh, claimed that she ironclad evidence. This is ironclad evidence for a man going to death row right here. Ironclad evidence. Right, right. Claimed that she, while eavesdropping on a call, believed that she heard a man admitting to the crime, and she thought the man was Johnson. She was paid $5,000 for the 
for her testimony. $5,000 for her testimony. But just, look, just forget the money. Just forget the money and think about what we're talking about here. All right? We're, mm-hmm. we're saying that this lady overheard a voice she thought was this guy saying mm-hmm. he killed somebody. Right. That's what they convicted him on. There's no physical evidence. There's right. nothing tying him to this. And, right. and they attempted to try another person for the shooting. There was only one person that shot him. There was only there was one person, and they've proven that. Only one person shot him. They tried uh, to, to convict his friend of the same thing, of shooting him and killing him. Uh, which is a big sticking point in the case is that, you know, you clearly don't know who in the hell shot him uh, here because right. you've tried to convict two people of the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not mm-hmm. convicting him of being present during the murder. You're trying to convict him of the actual murder. Right. Right. So you got, you got, that's, that's, and, and all of that to me, and this is why this, uh, you know, speaks really res. I mean, it really has an impact on me. This, this particular case, because it speaks to the larger problem. We've got prosecutors who either with or without collusion from the police are doing sloppy work that then results in people being put on death row. Or even worse, we've got them knowing that they are convicting somebody who's not guilty, but because they want to put somebody in the guilty box, they just go with whatever works. They throw something up against the wall and see what will stick. And then even though I I get your point in saying, let's set aside the $5,000 for a minute, that still raises some questions for me. Who paid her the money? The story that I've read didn't say. Do you know who paid her the money? Yeah, I believe the the prosecution paid her the, uh, the money. The state paid her the money. Uh, well, how? And I, I didn't even know that that was legal. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, I, I've heard of them paying, you know, for expert witness testimony and things like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know that. I, I don't know that I've ever heard that as, uh, either. I mean, I've heard of them cutting deals, of, obviously, uh, with people yeah. to, to testify. Uh, but I've never heard of this, you know, of them of them doing this. You know, I it just doesn't. I, and it, listen, it may happen all the time, and I'm just unaware of that. And it's just one of those one of those things. You're, you're just, unless you're involved in the system on a daily basis, you're just ignorant of. Uh, but, but shouldn't we be concerned about that? Though? Oh hell yeah, I we mean, should. Yeah, I mean, if they're, you're paying witnesses <laughs> to testify, yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah. I, I, but uh, you know, it's one of those things that you go, really, you're paying witnesses, and they're like, well, we do it every day. You know, it's a perfectly legal, uh, and it just is. My I, God, I don't. You know, I I don't know. I mean it. It just, the whole thing is so stupid, you know? I mean, really, I mean, who, how did that get into court? How did a lady yeah. saying, I think I heard this guy get in to be the, you know, this in front of, right. then they tried him twice, twice. The first time was a hung mm. jury. Mm. So I would, I, I agree with everything you said, except for one thing you said, it's stupid. I'm going to say it's worse than stupid because the man is on death oh, row. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the man is that. on death row. Yeah. I, you know, I, I didn't mean God. that flippantly stupid. I meant literally oh, stupid. I, it's, I, it's... I, I, yeah, I know you didn't. I mean, you're talking about the insanity of the process, you know, and I agree with you 100% uh, on that. The process is insane, but the, but, but I guess what, where I really land on it is, is that even beyond the insanity of the process, is that there's something patently immoral, and I and I 
a part of me really wants to say criminal about the about the fact that you can do, be so sloppy at best or so compromised morally at worst at worst that you 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 would prosecute a person and put them on death row in, in a situation like this. It's just it's just abhorrent. It's yeah. abhorrent. And leave him there. Uh, you yeah. know, and, and leave yeah. him there for for that period of time, um, mm-hmm. knowing the you know, because listen, this is not a secret. This doesn't come up uh out out of the blue. Uh mm-hmm. it, the fact that he's still on death row right now after the DA in Jefferson County, I want to say more than a year ago, said we've yeah. completed a two-year investigation. First of all, what the hell were you investigating for two years in one single case, you know? Uh, mm. a, a two-year investigation into the into what went on here and said, listen, this game clearly needs a new trial. Uh, uh, we need to we need to go go about this. And and I mean I and I understand, you know, I I would be all for just dropping the charges and, and going about it that way. But uh, right. if I'm not mistaken, you, in order for him to receive restitution of some sorts in this state, you have to uh, go to a new trial. This was a big sticking point in another case, and a big problem that I, one of my first big problems that I ever had with Steve Marshall was when he fought yeah. restitution uh, for a gentleman who had been released from death row um, uh, a, a long time back, and and it was uh, 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 he he did it just well, simply because of. Uh, you know, they they did not have a, another trial that took place, even though everybody agreed that he was innocent. It was, yeah, yeah, you're right, and that's and I think that's also immoral. Anthony Ray Hinton, uh, you know, who's uh, who's who's going to have a movie coming out about his life, I think, in another year or so, mm-hmm. uh, produced by Oprah, I think. Um, Anthony Ray Hinton, uh, same situation. You know, he can't get restitution, even though. He was uh, released from prison, you know, thanks to Brian Stevenson, was released from prison for a crime that he did not commit, a murder that he did not commit. But he he can't get restitution without some some intervention. In fact, I think our friend State Representative Laura Hall is working on that. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm, I'm going to say one final thing. I know we got to get uh, we got to we got to wrap this up here pretty soon. But I just want to say one final thing. Bill Baxley in the AL.com article that I read, Josh, was quoted as saying something along the lines of, to his knowledge, no uh, prosecutor or judge has uh, knowingly participated in the execution of an innocent man. <laughs> I have real questions about yeah, I do that. Too. I, do too. I have real, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you know. I, I, I can't. I can't wrap my head around a system that mm-hmm. that continues to chase a man that that we look at and we're we're everybody who looks at it objectively looks at this and says, uh, you know, that doesn't look right. Yeah, you know, that doesn't look mm-hmm. right. And and here are one, two, three, four, five instances of prosecutorial misconduct, uh sheriff mis- law enforcement misconduct. I have a real problem with a system that continues to chase that man. And doesn't go after these other people the same way, and they right. never, never they go never after do. those people right. that sat on the bench and allowed in BS evidence that a cop yep. that lied repeatedly on the stand, and you have proof that he lied yep. or took you know took evidence or coerced people. Yeah, they never go after them ever, and That's it right. is a it is Which, a stain on the entire system. 
Well, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it undercuts the moral authority of the system. And I think it also calls into question what Bill Baxley said. You know, when you've got a system that that is that is that compromised, along with the fact that, as you pointed out earlier, you've got a man whose case has been in serious doubt for several years, you know, based on prosecutors revisiting it and now based on uh, the the this this group of people that have, you know, across the ideological spectrum, prosecutors, judges saying he needs a new trial. Well, hell, um, how can you be 100 percent sure? How can you say with complete certainty mm-hmm. that you don't believe, you know, people have been knowingly involved in, in, in the execution of an innocent person or putting an innocent person on death row? In fact, the evidence would suggest that, no, it's probably happened mm-hmm. more than once yeah. because of just this guy's case. Yeah, it's a, it's a cop you know? out to say they, they don't know. They know. They know. It's a, it's a cop out to pretend that they're, ah, oh, yeah, can you be sure? No. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those cop outs. But all right, look, we, we, we're, you're right a second ago. Uh, well, you're right in everything you said. And then you're, you're also right in that we, we need to get out of here. And so I, for, for our right wing note of the week uh, here, if it's okay uh-huh. with you, what I, what I would like to do is just right. make every single congressional Republican our right wing note of the week for voting against COVID relief. <laughs> Is that okay, okay with you? I mean, well, let's that get everybody. We'll cover everybody this week, and we don't even have to worry about it. You know, we don't even have to be, don't even have to be specific. We'll just make everybody the right wing of the week for voting against a plan that's going to help the American workers more than any plan in the history of this country. So that's right. That's a, that's you know, right. You're all right wing nuts this week. Yeah, all that's right. right. I mean, the the biggest the biggest you know economic relief. Uh, package and plan since what uh, the FDR days mm-hmm. and is going to have probably more even more impact than that has yeah. uh, or at least than that had I mean yeah yeah I'm with that let's make them all right wing nuts <laughs> that's a good plan hey, you want to act that. like a right wing nut we'll call you a right wing nut okay there you go there you go, go. alright that's going to do it for us we're going to slide out of here uh, until next week this is Alabama Politics This Week peace peace